there's no crying in baseball. It's the stupidest line ever. It's basically saying, don't care about something you really put your time into. That's like saying there's no crying in life. We as men have got to do a better job at understanding the emotional lives of the boys that we coach and stop trying to turn them into, you know, iron men at eight years old. This is the Reform Sports Project, a podcast about restoring healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. Hi, this is Nick Bonacor from the Reform Sports Project podcast. Today I'm speaking with Michael Malley, a sought-after actor, writer, and producer well-known for his work on hit shows including Glee, Shameless, The Morning Show, and Parks and Recreation, among many others. A youth sports advocate and parent of three, Mike previously served as a youth coach and administrator of a 600-kid pony league. Mike and I discuss why coping with failure should be celebrated as much as success, the importance of letting children express their emotions, and why parents should seek out leadership positions to help reform the youth sports industry. I have a kindred spirit on the phone with me. If you had asked me a year ago if I would have had this dude on, I would have told you, I don't know how the hell our paths would have crossed. But you know what? It's the power of sports. It's the power of the people that love youth sports and the impact it makes. Um, all the way out in L.A., but we're kindred spirits. I'm fired up to have him. My man, Mike O'Malley. Mr. O'Malley, thank you so much for hey, hopping hey, on, man. Nick. Nick, it's great to talk to you. And yes, I mean, it's fantastic what you're doing with your platform, with your voice. Um, what I love about it is that you just reform sports parent. I have children who are now in college, uh, graduating high school and in high school. But I've had a deep experience with youth sports uh, coaching and being an administrator of a 600-kid pony league. I was the president of that league for many years and a board member. And I, I think that so many parents are trying to navigate how to find their way through this love that they have for athletics and their children achieving and being on teams and trying to you know, get better at sports and yet navigating their own feelings about it, good and bad, and, and how to manage it. And I think that the more that we talk about it, which is certainly something you do with your platform, the better. Man, I appreciate you. And and that, I'm so glad you said that because I've been excited ever since we connected to hear about it because you're out there in Los Angeles. So what's right. it like? You're on the board. You're coaching sports teams. What do you like? Hey, Brad Pitt's kid. Hey, come on and let's play. What's it like <laughs> coaching youth sports in the middle of Hollywood? And what's it, just tell us all about well, it. We are right in, you know, I do live in the heart of Hollywood, but, uh, you know, Hollywood borders, you know, the San Fernando Valley, which, you know, there's, there's great sports and there's great basketball, football, baseball, I mean, soccer. There's just great big high schools and youth sports to feel, you know, the surrounding area of Los Angeles is just like any suburb or town anywhere across, you know, this country. There are parents who love their kids, who have to get up every day, drive them to school or put them on the bus to school. Yes. There are certainly, you know, sons and daughters of, of actors and writers and directors and musicians. But at the end of the day, you know, those people, the majority of them, 99% of those people, they just love their kids and they want to see them thrive. So it's no different than, you know, because I'm, I'm still in touch with my friends back in New Hampshire and, you know, that I knew growing up in college and high school. And, you know, the stories are still the same. I think the most challenging thing about Los Angeles is just as, you know, anyone from a big city will tell you is just field space, court space, you know, just any green space to throw the ball around. Um, that's the challenging thing. So, but we can get into that. 
Well, you know, I'm curious because, you know, some of the best athletes uh, in the country come out of the state of California, right? Yeah, I mean, we talked about it a little bit before, and you have Texas, you have California. And some will say, well, they're also some of the biggest. Well, yeah, I get it, but the, the weather plays a part in that, right? There's a level of competitiveness that I would imagine, just like here in Wilmington, North Carolina, I mean, it's a little bit of a hotbed of athletics, and you have that, those places. So as far as, like, the scene, is it all pay-to-play, wreck? Like, what was it like for you running an organization out there? Well, that's interesting you say that. So, you know, look, I think that one of the joys of, you know, baseball was the youth sport that I coached the most, and it is my favorite sport. And so um, I had, uh, you know, a deep knowledge of it. I loved playing it. I loved the game. There are unbelievable uh, baseball schools out here. Um and, you know, the high schools have all very, very competitive teams. But I don't necessarily think, I do think the weather helps, right? So that you can play year round. Though now, you know, I go back to New Hampshire, there's these unbelievable uh, facilities which have batting cages that they didn't have, you know, when I was growing up. I mean, you, what, what are you doing playing baseball or trying to get into a, you know, there was no hitting cage. You know, now, like, it's two no feet of snow on the ground in New Hampshire in all yeah, the year. It's, it's unbelievable. You know, Boston College, you know, a friend who coaches up there, and he's, you know, the facility that they have in the winter that they're able to use is unbelievable now. But anyways, we're jumping all around. But so for me, what happened was I took my son to T-ball, and my son was a pretty decent uh, T-ball player. And, and I don't you know people say, oh, well, you know, what does that mean? He's a pretty decent T-ball player. All that matters is that I'm sure you realize this with your six kids. Like, if you have nothing to do and you're rolling the ball around or you teach your son and daughter how to throw a ball and then if you just keep them to, like, point their nose at the baseball on the tee and until the bat swings it, you can be pretty decent at T-ball. And so, but what happened was when he was at the end of his uh, first season, they said, does he want to try out for All-Stars? And I was like, what? I just, I just couldn't believe I was like, what are you guys talking about? I mean, you saw the kid, he played. We just had a season full of games. You know, he, he, he just, you know, he's five years old. He's catching, you know, line drives at third base. Granted, it's like the sort of squishy ball. But so I'm like, uh, I'm like, I don't know if I necessarily want to get him wrapped up and trying out at six years old or five years old, whatever it was he was. But then it dawned on me. I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is serious. And, you know, you're just coming in like any new parent because my daughter played soccer and basketball and she was a swimmer. But she didn't play baseball. So you don't really get the lay of the land until you have your first son or your first daughter who wants to play. And then once you see what's going on, you, you know, you realize like, oh, your kid's playing in a, in a division with a bunch of guys who are on their second kid. And they, they know how the rules work around here. They know how to do this. I mean, it was just, you know, it's just so crazy that, that you realize like, oh, man, the people are trying to game game the system when they try to evaluate the kids you're talking about like a seven-year-old kid and said there's a there's a one to ten ranking on speed you know uh hitting uh throwing catching right again seven years old and you're just going into this you're like oh my god what have i stepped into and so, so you're there and people are like oh you know he's got two 38s on his team and then some mom or dad coach is like um yeah i think you know, he wanted to carpool with us, and we're like, okay, no, no, no carpool. <laughs> to rig, rig like, you train. realize, like, it's one of the reasons I became, like, an administrator. Like, no, no carpool. And one of the things that I think we had great success at this when, you know, we basically said, hey, guys, 
the reason people aren't playing baseball anymore in these rec leagues is because there's one team where there's a dad or a mom who knows how to coach. And then there's other people who want to volunteer. And certainly in Los Angeles, you know, you have people with kind of off hours. And so, you know, what we what we realized was, you know, if I if I was to talk to there's not going to be anyone listening right now to this podcast who hasn't had kids yet. They're probably finding your podcast and finding what you're doing because they're in the middle of some insane situation yeah. on, you know, whatever's happening in their youth league. And they're like, oh, is there any other people who could talk to me about this? Exactly. But I wish that I had got a little bit of the I wish that I had almost gone and coached a team like I had free time. Um, you know, before I was just, or just even volunteered as an umpire, or volunteered on the board to get an idea of what's going on before you're in the middle of it. You know, what, what we began to realize in our league, uh, because we started a pony league in Hollywood that now still has about 600 kids playing, boys and girls. Um, what we realized was nobody wants to go out and get their brains beat in. Yeah. Not at seven years old, not at eight, not at nine, not at 10. Nobody wants to get their brains beat in. And if you do not have parity at the youth level mm. um, and you don't give every kid opportunities to get instruction and in playing, that's why there's no rec leagues anymore because people don't want to play. They don't want to get their – who wants to go out on a Saturday and get their brains beat in by the two dads who've got their sons together and there's no competition and they win all the games and everyone else loses. I mean, it's just – so we really, really tried and said to – you know, parents and, you know, there was a draft every year yeah. where you were trying to get it so that the teams had tremendous parity. And even if people said, well, Timmy has a friend on there. He doesn't have any friend. We were saying like, well, wouldn't it be great if the kid starts playing on a team at five years old and they're on a team with 12 other kids. And then seven years later, there there's, you know, 12 other kids that they're on every team with and they've just met 90 kids in the community yeah. and 90 families. And so what ends up happening, and we found this to be true, is that the animosity that sometimes just occurs in local towns, right? Because, oh, they're, you know, we don't get along with them. They don't get along. Because of youth sports, you began to see that, uh, at least in my mind, what I saw is, oh, uh, this team that I'm playing now, uh, that I'm coaching against, and my kid is nine years old now, well, 15 of those kids, I coached them when they were six. I coached them on the other teams, you know, 30 kids, I, whatever. I coached them on the other teams they were growing up. So I was, you know, I, of course, I wanted to win the baseball game, but I was I was rooting for the success of the entire enterprise. And um, I don't know, I'm speaking in paragraphs here, but I, no. I feel so passionately about this, uh, about how to, you know, really create a community where the experience of sports, because for most people, um, it's going to end. You know, baseball is one of those sports where it gets really, really difficult. Man, right around 13 years old, it gets really hard. Yeah, um, those fields get bigger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's such an amazing sport. But I coached soccer, too, and uh, that was insane because on our teams we had 16 kids. So uh, just it's, it's hard. Space, space out here. And then I coached basketball, which I loved for many years. You're bringing up a good point, and, and someone that we know mutually is Kevin Euclid, right? I spoke with him a couple of times over the last few years on this topic. For those of you that don't know Kevin Euclid, I mean, you're talking about, you know, one of the Red Sox great, World Series champion, also played for the Yankees. Great dude, but he told me that if it were up to him, he don't think kids should be playing travel ball to the, like, freshmen in high school. He sees it not being advantageous. He thinks you're better off, you know, playing rec ball, 
playing wiffle ball in your backyard, having a great time, being creative, than locking in all year long and, and kind of like you said, tying yourself to friend groups and tying everything to wins and losses. He thinks it's way more advantageous. Now, he also grew up in Cincinnati, right? So I'm curious for you, like I grew up in a cold weather state. I couldn't play baseball. I can't promise you that if I didn't grow up in North Carolina or LA or somewhere where I could have played baseball year round, like I can't tell you if I, if I would, I loved the sport. So because I couldn't, I played football, I played basketball and I'm glad I did. But what do you think about Uke's thoughts about rec early and not being able to really pay to play? I mean, but that genie seems to be come out of the bottle. I don't think there's a way you get it back in. No, I don't either because I also think because there's money in it, right? There's money and there's an appetite for it. Oh, yeah. My children like to play more than one sport. Some kids don't take to more than one sport. They don't have the aptitude for more than one sport. They're not interested in more than one sport. And so why should they be restricted from doing what it is that they want to do? And so it's almost like you've got to be comfortable as a parent if the basketball... And and here's the other thing. If your kid is a good basketball player and he's seven or eight years old and he's playing on the team, he's doing good on the rec league, and then he goes to soccer in the winter and then he goes to baseball in in the spring, you've got to be comfortable with the fact that the kid who he was just as good as, you know, when he was eight years old, doesn't go to soccer, doesn't go to baseball, and keeps playing basketball, and, and is looking for something to do on the weekend. You know, like, I'm not against anyone doing anything other than, you know, having a kid who is not spending all their time gaming, and they're out, and they're running around, and they're getting together with their friends, and they're learning about how to be disciplined with uh, sports. I mean, I'm, I'm totally down with that. Um, I think that the hard thing is that if your kid likes the sport and has aptitude for it, if he wants to have or she wants to have a varied experience, then I don't know, man. Like, how do you keep up? Like, at a certain point, it does become like, you know, the, the, the hours in. You know what I mean? If you're not out there dribbling, you know, if you're taking five months off from dribbling an hour a day, are you going to be as good as the guy who dribbled the entire year? No. There are freaks, right? We know these freaks who just, they're, they're just unbelievable and they can pick it up in two seconds. But that's not everybody. In fact, it's a small percentage of people. And those are the people who end up becoming, you know, professional athletes. When we return, Mike and I discuss why coaches should embrace children's emotions rather than shut them down. Welcome back. Where we left off, Mike and I were about to discuss how parents can help change their children's youth sports experiences for the better. I don't think anyone can have success in life without without struggling. Uh, and I would think struggling quite a bit. How do you, as a parent, allow your kids to fail? More importantly, do you find ways, like do you pull things from your own experience as a performer, as an artist, where you faced rejection and you know, kind of help with those messages, with those stories, with your kids to help them along? Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, I mean, it's hard because, you know, we, we, I think one of the things that is so wonderful about being a parent is that, and that you don't realize until you're a parent, is just how profoundly deep and emotional that love is. It's like literally somebody said this to me and I found it to be pretty accurate. Having a child is like having a little piece of your soul walking around outside your body. And it's hard, right? Because it gives us so much joy and so much elation and then so much pain. And we can't shield all of that from them. We just have to be a harbor, a shelter, a place that they can come back. But life is is hard, right? Disappointment 
is hard. You want to be able to do well. One of the things that's difficult about sports is that we want to put our whole heart into the thing. And I have been trying to, I'd have to say really the last 10 years, and not always succeeding at this, reading and absorbing Stoic philosophy, you know, famously Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, you know, I know that's becoming more and more popular. Uh, the author, Ryan Holiday, who's, you know, really great. You know, some of his books just really uh, shedding new, not shedding new light, but bringing, well, shedding new light and also bringing awareness to Stoic philosophy, which basically, if I was just going to, you know, draw it down to its essences, it is dangerous for us to put our emotions in service to something that we don't have control over. So in other words, I'm going to make this team. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and it's going to be a sunny day. Those are things that are not in your control. You can work hard to make a team. You can work hard to be an actor and get a job. You can write something, a script, a TV show, and you could hope it would win Emmy Awards or a movie that could win Oscars. It's like, but that's not in your control. The only thing that is in your control is your effort. When you hit a walk-off home run, uh, even as the kids are little, they'll dump their water bottles over your head and Gatorades and sodas and everyone's, you know, calling the grandparents on the drive home. Sure. We don't call the grandparents and say it was a great game. You know, the Johnny struck out three times. You know, so so we, we also, how we parent, how we respond to either their success or failures, that's teaching them. Like, imagine if on the drive home, mm. when your son struck out three times where they lost, that you just, you called the grandparents and you said, hey, Nana and Papa. Or grandma and grandpa. You know, I was so proud of, you know, little Nick today, man. He was just, you should have seen him. You know, the, the courage that he had to shake hands at the end of the game, uh, to go up to his friends and congratulate him on the game that they played, even though they lost, to find his friend who was feeling down and lift him up. Sure. And listen, I'm saying this not as somebody who, you know, I'm somebody who tried to do that, but, you know, we can all do that more. I think one of the ways we would help them deal with failure probably better is if we praise them for how they dealt with it as much as we praise them when they hit a home run. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to do, right? I think, it's, I think it's really, really hard to teach your children how to become really invested in what it is they do. They got to put the hours in, got to work hard, but that it's all about, you know, the effort. It's teaching your kids to be adept at beginning to manage their own feelings about performance. And as long as they've put in their best effort, that's what you want to see them take out of it. I mean, even as a, you know, as an adult, when a team that I'm rooting for loses, it takes me a second to shake it off. I mean, it's madness. It really is. (laughs) Now you put your kids in the situation. Like this stupid line, there's no crying in baseball. It's the stupidest line ever. (laughs) It's basically saying, don't care about something you really put your time into. It's the stupidest line in a movie that was funny when I first saw it. But after coaching, the fact that, you know, you hear like uh, you're coaching with the guy and there's a seven year, seven year old and he's crying because he strikes out. And, and they're like, there's no crying in baseball. It's like that's like saying there's no crying in life. Like, why do we have tear ducts if we're not supposed to use them? It's so stupid. We as men have got to do a better job at understanding the emotional lives of the boys that we coach and stop trying to turn them into, you know, iron men at eight years old. I'm so glad you went there because mental health's a big issue. Um, 
I feel like one of the reasons I have such a close relationship with with a few of my coaches is because they gave me the freedom to get vulnerable. You know, they coached me as the person rather than just the baseball player, right? I feel like those are the best leaders, the ones that get to know you as a human being and find out what drives you, what motivates you. It's so easy to just coach X's and O's and, uh, hey, we do this strategy and we do this and you throw this pitch and whatever and we should get this outcome. Well, how about asking, you know, how about developing that bond? What about that relationship with that coach that you want to call and invite to your wedding? Like, how do I as a coach get that? Well, I got to get, I got, I think it's doing those extra things that you're talking about and allowing kids to feel comfortable enough in their own skin to get vulnerable. And, and that's a challenging place to be uh, because I don't think a lot of people understand that that's how you get the best out of somebody. I'm sure you as an actor, as a writer, as a, you know, someone who competes, you I mean, you're competing at a high level every single day of your life in your profession. There's got to be, you know, I would imagine directors or leaders in your life that helped you get to the pinnacle of your career, brought the best out of you. Was there elements of, you know, great coaching that went into that, that allowed you to feel safe to be able to be as creative as you, as you can and get the best out of you? Well, people's awareness of what they're, you know, how they're feeling and how it's affecting their performance. 100% is that something that, uh, people are more in tune with than they were maybe when I was growing up. But to answer your question, the directors, especially the directors and the other actors that I've worked with that are able to listen, yes, they have a direction about where they want you to go. Yes, they have an idea about you know what story they want to tell or where your focus should be. But it's trying to bring out the best in every individual. Trying to bring out the best of each individual is one of the things that is so amazing about so many of the volunteer coaches, even who, you know, I worked with in the neighborhood, just how much time and thought they put into thinking about each of the players and lifting them up and bringing out the best of them and talking to their parents and understanding. Um, because the truth of the matter is that every one of those kids is playing on the team. They want to succeed. They want to be the people who, you know, their their buddies are patting on the back. They want to take the game-winning shot. I mean, you know, with these youth basketball, I mean, if the clock starts counting down at, at 30 seconds and one kid has the ball, I mean, in a rec basketball league, they ain't giving it up because they want to take the shot at the end of the game at the buzzer because they want to have a buzzer beater. I can't mean, blame, can, you can't blame them. Yeah, you can't blame them because they want to, again, they want to have that feeling of when they succeed. But I would say that, you know, for me, yes, it's those directors, men and women and, you know, and fellow actors who are really trying to bring out the best in you. Honestly, I could talk about this for days. And I'll I'll say something else about, you know, the because I really have, um, you know, a connection and and a passion for dads and moms spending time with their kids, coaching them or in an administrative position in one of their local rec leagues or even travel leagues, just being around them. That time spent with your children in the car, going to the games, getting ready, getting up, it really does um, solidify. And I'm not looking at the, you know, my, my son is about to play his last year of high school uh, baseball, and then I have a younger son who's playing basketball. Um, but I look back fondly on the time when they were, oh gosh, you're right, we're going to this game, we're going to that game. But you're seeing them with their friends, these lasting friendships that they've made still to this day. And it does, I think, connect you to a community. Um, I think that I think is so, so important. Man, I love the authenticity. I love the the realism. The passion is just, you're getting me fired up and I love it. And you have a show coming. I know you talked about it. You've been on 
you know, a number of shows. I really want to talk about real quick, like you have a new show that's out there. You said on stars. What's it about? Right. Let's get so into it. For the last uh, three years, I've been working on a show called Heels. It's not about uh, women's shoes. It is uh, a show in wrestling, professional wrestling. The good guys are known as faces or baby faces and the bad guys uh, that the audience likes to root against, they're called heels, as in bad guys, heels. And so the show is called Heels, and it's about a family in Georgia, rural Georgia, southwestern Georgia, in a fictional town called Duffy. And, um, you know, we, we like to describe it as uh, kind of Friday night lights of professional wrestling. It's about a family that is trying to make professional wrestling relevant. They, they have a creative bent they don't really know necessarily know how to make that successful in their small town, but they yearn to be storytellers in the wrestling world, and they yearn for greater success. It's starring Stephen A. Mel, who was on the show Arrow for many years on the CW, Alexander Ludwig, who starred in Vikings for many years, uh, Mary McCormack, who uh, she was in on In Plain Sight, Chris Bauer from The Wire and True Blood. Kelly Berglund, Allison Luff, and then uh, Alan Maldonado, who's on Survivor's Remorse with me and is now on The Wonder Years. And one of, uh, you know, we have CM Punk, who is one of the best wrestlers of all time. And then James Harrison, the former linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's on it too. So, <laughs> That's bad. So, he's a bad, you still got a badass on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's called Heels. It's on Stars. If you have Hulu, there's a plug-in that you can get for Stars. You can also watch it on Amazon, also has a plug-in. Or you can just get the app, Stars, S-T-A-R-Z. So it's a family drama. It's uh, not for the uh, not for people who don't like potty mouth words. Um, but it is a really deep, resonant drama that we're real proud of. This is pretty sweet. Not only am I, uh, you know, we're trying to, we're, we're having a conversation that I think people are finding very useful but dude, to run into someone like you, and then you're a new, you're a New England guy. This is even cooler, man. So uh, I can't I thank you enough for your we, time, dude. I really appreciate what you're doing, and I really want you know to encourage. I would say this to the folks out there who want to try to change their their local rec league or their local little league or their local pony league or how it works. There are others who are desperate for you to do that, but you have to take a leadership role. And you have to be able to put time in. It will only change if you're getting in there on the board and finding like-minded people because nobody wants the insanity, right? But you really have to think about what is the most important thing for your community. The thing is, is really about formulating teams, local teams, that, you know, there's, there's a sense of fellowship, you know, a church league, a group league where people are coming together and that you're really monitoring the coaches, you're all pulling together to make this happen. The, the travel sports, the genie's out of the bottle, man. It's it's nothing's gonna. It's not gonna go back to what it was. In part because of what I was just saying earlier. But what we can do is what you can do as an administrator, somebody on the board, somebody in the administration, somebody who's the, in charge of umpires or referees. You can dictate the tone of how things are done, and people will fall in line. You have to create that culture. You can only affect change if you're in a leadership position and you find other people who are on the same side as you. It's the only way. So you can be a reformed sports parent yourself, but unless you jump on a board and do something and put in all the sweat, right? 
sitting in your backyard and two guys from the neighborhood are arguing about what happened at a game and you're sitting there being like, how was this my Saturday afternoon? I didn't even know these guys two years ago. That's what it takes. Yes, get off your ass. I love it, dude. Thank you, man. This is, we're doing this again. The fiery Irishman, dude. I love it. (laughs) Nick, it's great talking to you. Let's talk more. That's Michael Malley, actor, writer, and producer. Thanks for listening to the Reform Sports Project podcast. I'm Nick Bonacore, and our goal is to restore a healthy balance and perspective in all areas of sport through education and advocacy. For updates, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or check out our website by searching for the Reform Sports Project.